Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book entitled Proverbs. It's a commentary on the book of Proverbs from your Bible. It was written by Charles Bridges, a leader of the Evangelical Party in the Church of England. He died in 1869. We're looking at the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. Chapter 6. Would you open your Bible and turn to Proverbs 6 so that you can follow along because he doesn't quote all of the verses in the chapter and you'll have to have it in front of you too. Well, the son, verse 1, has just been warned against the deadly wound of a stranger. Now he is cautioned against the attack from an imprudent friend. Our God has graciously made his book not only our guide to heaven, but the directory of our common life. We are here warned against putting up security for your neighbor. The warning is clearly against entering into rash agreements, which the young and inexperienced are particularly exposed to. If you have struck hands in pledge for another, this was the usual way to make an agreement. Verse 2, often you may be trapped by what you said, and ensnared by the words of your mouth by entering into agreements without making careful inquiries about what is involved. Christian prudence will keep us from entering into such agreements, for they will bring disgrace on our families, dishonor on our name, reproach on our faith. Verse 3. If, however, you have become trapped by making an indiscreet agreement, you must attempt to free yourself from it in the following way. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Verse 4. Do not take time to sleep until you have succeeded in doing this. Number 5. You must disentangle yourself like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Our God while he warns us against putting up security, has taken it on himself. May his name be praised for this. He has given us his word, his bond, yes, his, his blood, as security for sinners, which no power of hell can shake. Number six. It is a shame, said the philosopher Seneca, not to learn morals from the small animals. And go to the ant, you sluggard. It demonstrates the degradation of the fall, that although man was created in God's image and made wiser than any of the other creatures, he should be sent to this insignificant school for instruction. Verse 7, the ant has no commander to direct her work, no overseer to inspect her, no ruler to call her to account. Verse 8, and yet the ant stores its provisions with diligent foresight in summer and gathers its food at harvest for her winter's need. Verse 9, And so the sluggard should consider the ant's ways and be wise. The sluggard sleeps over his work and is half startled when he is aroused. Verse 10, He still pleads for a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Present ease is all he thinks about. The future he carefully keeps out of sight. Verse 11. In this way, life runs to waste. Poverty will come, step by step. 
like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man with irresistible force. Perhaps such a man excuses himself by referring to his master's words, do not worry about tomorrow, Matthew 6. But Tully says the root of the word expresses the dividing of the mind into different thoughts. So our Lord was not teaching that we should take no care about anything. Care is a duty, a parental obligation, and therefore part of being godly. But being anxious and worried, that is a sin, an unnecessary burden for ourselves that that shows we are not trusting God. The diligent use of providential means honors God. We call in a much louder voice on the spiritual sluggard. You who are sleeping away the opportunities of grace and are not trying to enter through the narrow gate, you who are taking your salvation for granted and are hoping that you will reap where you have not sown and gather where you have not scattered seed, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Verse 12. What a contrast between the inactivity of the sluggard and the untiring diligence of a scoundrel and villain. This man of Belial, as it says in the Hebrew, goes about with a corrupt mouth. Verse 13. Not content with the scope of his malice, he makes all parts of him, his eye, his feet, his fingers, active instruments of unrighteousness. Verse 14. These, however, are only external manifestations Deep within lies the powerhouse of evil. He has deceived his own heart. He always stirs up dissension instead of piety and love. Such a pest in society brings ruin on himself, and suddenly he will be destroyed without remedy. Verse 16. In his heart man thinks of God as being like himself and thus able to look at sin with indifference. Here, therefore... Solomon lists six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Verse 17, haughty eyes. Examples of haughty people are Pharaoh, Haman, Nebuchadnezzar, and Herod. A lying tongue. Examples of people who lied are Gehazi, Ananias, Sapphira. Hands that shed innocent blood. Examples of people who murdered innocent people are Cain, and especially those who murdered God's dear son, and of course Manasseh. Verse 18, and in case we should think God only looks on outward appearances, a heart that devises wicked schemes is mentioned. Verse 19, God also hates a false witness who pours out lies and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. A withering blast will fall on those who, mistaking prejudice for principle, cause divisions for their own selfish ends. The Lord will mark them out as people who do not have His Spirit and who are sensual. Let the wisdom of experience given by an accurate observer of Himself and the Church be seriously pondered. I am much more sensible of the evil of schism and of the separating spirit and of gathering parties and making several sects in the church that I was heretofore. Uh, For the effects have shown us more of the mischiefs. 
I am much more aware how prone many young people who profess to be Christians are to spiritual pride and self-conceit and unruliness and division and so become firebrands in the church. I am much more aware than heretofore of the breadth and length and depth of the radical, universal, odious sin of selfishness and the excellency and necessity of self-denial and of a public mind and of loving our neighbor as ourselves. That was from Baxter. If we are unable to be perfectly united in mind and thought, a text, says Flavel, to be commented upon rather by tears than words, let us at least cultivate a spirit of unity. Verse 20, the validity of parental authority is again enforced. God never intended young people to be independent of their parents. Instruction from every quarter is valuable, but from parents, always supposing them to be godly parents, it is the ordinance of God. They will bring you God's word, not their own. Verse 21, therefore, bind them, your father's commands, upon your heart forever, as your rule. Fasten them around your neck so that they may adorn you. Verse 22. Let the law be your friend at all times and in all circumstances. It is to be a guide by day and a solace when you sleep. It will be a friend when you awake. Take care that nothing hinders your early conversations with this faithful counselor before the world comes in. This is the best way to keep the world out. Happy is the mind to which the word is an undivided companion, says Bernard. Verse 23, a lamp so full of light in this dark world is an inestimable gift. Its corrections and the discipline of our wayward will are to us the way to life. This lamp and light is especially valuable against sensual temptation. Verse 24. Those who choose their own light fall into the snare of a smooth tongue. The neglect of parental warning will in the end produce the bitter situation of unavailing repentance. Verse 25. Here Solomon gives our Lord's own rule. Resist lust as soon as it arises in your heart. Many people have been deluded by vain beauty and wanton eyes. Verse 26, Such victims have been bought for the price of a loaf of bread. The adulteress preys upon your very life, like the insatiable hunter who never loses sight of his prey until he has killed it. The seducer never ceases to solicit until she has succeeded in preying upon your very life. Verse 27, Yet neither the present miseries nor the known end of this wretched course can draw away the foot that has dared to tread the forbidden path. Self-confidence sees and fears no danger. I can look after myself. I need not go too far. I will, I will come to no harm. But the temptation acts on a congenial nature like fuel, not water, on the fire. He might as well expect to scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned. 
Verse 28. He might just as well expect to walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched as to go willfully into sin and escape the punishment. Verse 29. Sin and punishment are linked together by a chain of unbreakable stone. The fire of lust kindles the fire of hell, says Henry. It is no good for such a man to later on complain about the strength of the temptation. Why did he not avoid it? Verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. But this should not be used as an excuse for a thief to go unpunished. Verse 31. He must pay full restitution. Sevenfold, perhaps not to be taken literally, fourfold or fivefold was the limit of the divine requirement in Luke 19.8. Let him earn his living through honest work. If the fruits of his labors fail, let him, trusting in God, seek the help of his fellow creatures. If he has faith to trust, he will not be forced to steal. Yet his extreme temptation makes him an object of pity rather than of scorn. Men do not despise a thief, as in verse 30. Verse 32, but the sin of the adulterer claims no sympathy. His plea is not a cry of hunger, but of lust, not want, but wantonness. He does not lack bread, he lacks judgment. He is willingly given over to his sin. In this way, he destroys himself. Verse 33, he is wounded, but not like a soldier or a Christian martyr. He is not full of honor, but of disgrace. His name is full of shame. Verse 34, the tremendous passions of jealousy and revenge shut out all forgiveness. Verse 35, no bribe will be accepted. No compensation, no matter how great it is, will be enough. Such are the many sins that flow from breaking of God's holy commandments. Oh, how great iniquity, exclaimed Augustine, is this adultery. How great a perverseness. The soul redeemed by the precious blood of Christ is thus for the pleasures of an hour given to the devil. A thing much to be lamented and bewailed. When that which delighteth is soon gone. That which tormenteth remaineth without end. And will not this frightening picture of sin and its consequences, which Solomon, alas, was only too well qualified to draw, teach us to avoid everything that may be temptation, to be sensitive to the first intimations of its becoming so, and and to close every avenue of sense to its seductive poison, Let us learn to seek divine strength to watch and pray and as we think that we stand to take heed in case we fall. Charles Bridges. That was chapter 6 of the book of Proverbs. I want to thank you so much for listening and ask you one more time to look around our site. We have over 3,000 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English, Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. 
and more. I will tell you more at other times. God bless you today. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 23rd of February, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.